Welcome to Up In Your Business with Carrie McCoy. Be sure to stay tuned to the end of the show to hear how you can get a copy of this program and other helpful documents. And now it's time for Carrie McCoy to get all up in your business. Hello, you're listening to KABF in Little Rock, Arkansas. I'm Carrie McCoy, and it's time for me to get up in your business. By that, I mean to say, share my business knowledge and wisdom with you, our listener. I consider this next hour to be a mentoring show for small business owners or for those who dream of owning a small business. You may be asking yourself, what makes this lady qualified to give me mentoring advice? And I'll tell you, experience. Forty years ago, with just $400, I started Arkansas Flag and Banner. Since then, it's morphed into simply flagandbanner.com, with sales nearing $4 million. That's worth saying again. I started Arkansas Flag and Banner with just $400, and today we have sales nearing $4 million. I started by selling flags door-to-door, then went to telemarketing, next mail order and catalog sales, and today we rely heavily on the Internet. In addition, over the last 40 years, I've navigated flag and banner through two recessions and two wars. When people find out I'm that woman who owns Arkansas Flag and Banner, they often say, Oh, I've heard about you, and began asking me business advice. I amaze even myself with all the knowledge I've gained. Four decades ago, when I started Arkansas Flag and Banner, I supplemented my income by waitressing, all while I peddled my flags door to door. After nine years, did you hear me? Nine years of working a part-time job, the company began to grow and solely support me. My first hire was a bookkeeper to handle the clerical side of the business. My first expansion was to begin the manufacturing of custom flags, so a sewing department developed. The next decade ushered in the Desert Storm War. Flags were scarce, so a screen printing department was hurriedly built to meet consumer demands. In addition to sales and manufacturing, Flag and Banner now has a purchasing department, a shipping department, technology department, and a marketing department, call center, and a retail store. And I spearheaded the development of every one of these departments. This is usually when I introduce my guest, another fellow entrepreneur, and we talk candidly. We share our stories, our business experiences, our lessons learned along the way. But today is going to be a different program because... It's a holiday. For the first time since we started this business mentoring show in September, we're going to air excerpts from previous shows. We picked three interviews. That was difficult because I think every one of them is great. We edited each of them to a mere 17 minutes, and presto, we have today's show. Our choices for today's show are Paula Dempsey's interview with Dempsey Bakery, Al Hodge's interview from Arkansas Capital Corporation, and Congressman French Hill's interview before the last election. Today, we won't be taking calls, but we will be taking emails. So if you have a question for me, you can email me at, Tim, what is it? It's questions at upyourbusiness.org. And I'm tweeting these days, so what's my tweet? It is at McCoy. Now, Carrie is spelled K-E-R-R-Y, in case you were wondering. Before we get started with our three awesome condensed interviews, you just heard from my technician and partner in crime, Mr. Tim Bowen, say hello, Tim. Hello, Tim. I also want to give a shout out to Scott McClure, our audio editor for today's recording, and who each week edits and posts our podcast 
on upyourbusiness.org. He and his wife, Tammy, are a power couple of creativity. So thank you to Scott and Tammy McClure for your professional support. Okay, let's get started. Tim, who's our first interview? This will be Paula Dempsey from Dempsey Bakery. Oh, I like that. Speaking in this interview is, like Tim said, Paula Dempsey, owner and founder of Dempsey Bakery, the only gluten, soy, and nut-free bakery within a 500-mile radius of Little Rock, Arkansas. 20 years ago, she and her husband, Demp Dempsey, opened their first and very different small business, Dempsey Film Group, which grew to over 30 employees over an 11-year span. Due to technology changes in the filmmaking industry, Dempsey Film Group closed the doors to its film production company in 2011. In true entrepreneurial spirit, Paula turned her passion into her new business when she started Dempsey Bakery. Knowing nothing about the food business, she hired a baker, and together they spent one year, that's determination, experimenting and creating recipes that she now serves up in her gluten, soy, and nut-free bakery in downtown Little Rock. You can also find her food creations in local restaurants and grocery stores throughout Arkansas. The mission of Dempsey Bakery is simple to say. It is to feed and meet the rising needs of people with food sensitivities, but the execution of this simple statement is very complex. Paul is all too familiar with this issue. This familiarity is her motivation. She believes in her product and has found her mission in life through Dempsey Bakery. What a lucky lady. For your listening now, it's Paula Dempsey from Dempsey Bakery. My guest today is Paula Dempsey, owner and founder of Dempsey Bakery in downtown Little Rock. Over 20 years ago, she and her husband, Demp Dempsey, opened their first small business. It was Dempsey Film Group, which grew to over 30 employees. In 2011, they closed the film production company and opened the only gluten, soy, and nut-free bakery within a 500-mile radius of Little Rock, Arkansas. Paula's motivation and dream when starting Dempsey Bakery was to focus on the rising needs of people with food sensitivities, something she is very familiar with and is very close to her heart. Knowing nothing about the food business, she hired a baker, and together they spent one year experimenting and creating recipes that she now serves up in her gluten, soy, and nut-free Dempsey Bakery. Welcome to the table, Paula Dempsey. Thank you, Carrie. So... I really admire you for being so proactive about this because most people don't take responsibility for their health and most people and most doctors don't believe that it's the true is a yeah right but it seems like we've got this epidemic of nut allergies and gluten intolerance and even some meat allergies I know several people who eat yeah. red meat and they break out in hives yeah so what were the biggest challenges when you started to change your eating habits the whole family getting involved or finding the recipes well you know it took me a while to learn how to convert a recipe and especially baking as I said you know cooking if you just cook fresh food and don't fry it 
you know, and flour I it. I don't think I can do that. I know. Well, you just have to learn. I mean, I can fry food now, and I have flours and mixes and things that work. But and you can then, buy those flours at Dempsey Bakery and, yes, and fry them? Uh-huh. Well, really? we have a little gravy mix, and we have um, breadcrumbs, so you, you can. But at first, we didn't do much of that at all. So I got magazines that were gluten-free, and I would read the recipe, and then I would be like, okay, how can I fix this for our family? But it gave me hints on combinations of things to, you know, change. So if someone wanted to email you or ask you questions about who the doctor was you used or some uh, some more detailed questions that are more private that they don't really want to talk about right. on the air, right. is there a way for them to contact you? Yeah, they can, they can email me at at paula at dempseybakery.com and dempsey is d-e-m-p-s-e-y or they can go on our website and look us up and you know there's like a link or whatever but i also do facebook dempsey bakeries on facebook i do like to do doctor stuff a little more personable yeah and they can come to the bakery i'm really busy between 11 and about one and people can call and make an appointment and i'll sit down and visit with them about you our experiences. will yep i do it all the time oh <laughs> love that about this show i love that about you well just mentoring to other people sharing what you've learned and what you know i love that well you know i don't give away my recipes at the bakery well i hope not i do have some that i do give away or i do talks and churches well and you can buy everything groups. at your place just you about. can you, you can, can buy the pizza crust you can do whatever you want so before you were in the dempsey bakery which was only in 2011 right. you and your husband were in business together at dempsey film group correct didn't you have a career before that? Yes. I've, well, I've been in banking and real estate, and my husband's been in the TV business his whole life. When he started on his own, I did his bookkeeping, you know, on the side, because I I I'm not a bookkeeper, and I'm not an accountant, but, you know, I can put numbers on a piece of paper and add them up. Well, you were in banking, you said. Yeah, but I wasn't, I mean, I don't have any formal education, but, um, but anyway, I kept his books and what I could do, and then we had an accountant do the formal stuff. And it got to the point to where I was spending more time helping him than selling real estate. So we had to make a decision. Was he independent? Was uh, he an independent filmmaker when you were helping him? Uh, yeah. Well, we had a small business with only a, someone that answered the phone back then. We didn't have cell phones. And then him. And then he would hire freelance people to help him with his work. So. Well, when and then when I learned about you, you were in a, an old church. Didn't yeah. Film. Was, so was he at that time that you were his bookkeeper? Was he in that church? No, he, we didn't buy the church till we had about, I don't know, 10 employees or something. Before that, he worked in an office behind Jones Productions because he had worked for Gary, and they kind of worked together a little bit. And, and then before that, he was in television. So he's been around a long time. He's a videographer. Is that what they call him? Well, title? he's really, a, I mean, his real career, he directed TV commercials and TV shows and sports. And then he also uh, was a film like we used film back then with big 35 millimeter cameras and things like that. And oh my gosh, I remember. So, mm -hmm, so Y'all came out and filmed me for a commercial for, for Twin, Twin City, City Bank. Bank. I yes, remember that. You did. <laughs> I'm so impressed. And they brought this, it was so professional. They brought a track in, they set the cameraman on the track in a chair. And it was probably my husband, I bet. I'm I didn't sure know I'd ever met your husband. Mm -hmm. I bet it was him. Mm -hmm. Well, that is a, it's, that's just fascinating. So you decided how long to go over, how long did it take you? He, start, he, got, he started getting more and more employees. And so yep. you decided to go over there and, and help. Yeah. So I kind of ran the business. I mean, not really ran it. He was the, the talent and the creator and all that. But 
he's not really good at bookkeeping and details and the IRS and paying taxes and which most really talented people are not. But so, you got to do it yep. or you'll be ending up like Willie Nelson. That's you know, exactly. he got in a lot of trouble. Yeah, and I was audited twice and we never had anything go on. Congratulations. So, thank you. So um, anyway, so that's the part I did and he did his thing and I did mine. So you grew that business to 30 employees. Yeah, we did. We and did. And then technology changed. It did change and I have to say too that that was Towards the end of our business, my husband was starting to get really sick. This oh. was before we found this doctor, and he was taking some really, really toxic drugs. Steroids? N well, he took steroids, and then he took a cancer drug called methotrexate. For inflammation? So, yeah. And it just did a lot. It just played havoc on everything from depression to... Oh, I bet. It just, it just you know, anytime you're really sick and then you add pain pills and things like that, it's hard. Well, and he so probably had a lot of uh, physical problems from carrying around cameras he for did. so long. Yeah, he already had three back surgeries by Is that then. from cameras, carrying around well, cameras? Well, that plus his um, arthritis that we didn't really, you know, th there was a lot of things going on that we didn't know about. So anyway, um, technology played a huge part in the reason we closed the business. I was wondering. Yeah, because when we were really up and going and they were shooting film, we would, our edit suite costs over a million dollars. Wow. So not anybody could just walk in and start a production company. I mean, it was, it was expensive. And when you shot film back in the good old days, I guess we would have called it, um, you know, it was $500 a finished minute. And if you messed up or you didn't know what you were doing, it could cost you a lot of money. And so you just didn't take those kind of chances. But then when they came out with camcorders, I think they were called. Well, even that, our camcorders, we had some expensive ones of those. They were like 80 grand a piece. But Apple came out with, um, oh, I don't even know what they were called, but it was an edit system that you could buy for like 15 grand. And it did, all, you know, a lot of what we already did. And yes. then the cameras, you know, these Nikons and Canons, now you can shoot video with them. They're three or $4,000, and ours were eighty. I mean, you can shoot pretty you know. good video with my phone. I did that yeah. last night you sure watching can. a band. I was just amazed. And then I know, Carrie, you remember, because Twin City Bank was one of them. Back in the day, the local people, the banks, Twin City Bank and Wortham Bank and all those banks and then Blue Cross and Intergy, they spent a lot of money on their TV commercials. Oh, I a mean, lot. they were top notch better than memphis and they just everybody just quit doing that yeah so so yeah now they got drones they just fly a drone they, over yeah and i mean it's yeah and you think about it the utility companies don't even advertise anymore and that was a big part of our business i'd never thought about that i mean rarely so was there one moment that you said this is a dying industry demp we need to change horses in the middle of the stream here well, we did have a, one aha moment. We were really struggling a little bit in February, and we kind of pulled it together. And then we lost a very big uh, video account. It was a training account, so it wasn't. But we'd had it for like 15 years, and we had 17 shows booked with them through the rest of the year. And that was sort of our meat and potatoes. Yeah. And they just called us up one day and said, mm, "We don't gonna think we're going to do that anymore. We're going to spend all of our money on the internet." Oh, whoa. And, you know, and he wasn't even working then because he was so sick. What and year was that? That 2011? was 2011 in July. And we just, I came home, I told him, my son was working for us. Nothing's worse than having a family member lose their job that you provided. It's awful. It is awful. Wow. And uh, so we just, all three of us said, you know what? We just, we don't want to dig a hole anymore Smart. that we can't get out of and Really, we had the business at that time for our son and our employees, not even for my husband. 
How and hard was um, that, really? It was the hardest thing. Oh, I, the day we told our employees, I went home. I was so upset. I, my husband couldn't even come. He, was, he just couldn't even. I wish people could see your face talking you know, about it. It's so, it's, it was you're so still sad. upset by it. Oh, we'll never get over it. He'll, my husband will never get over it. He practically had a nervous breakdown over it. It just broke his heart. So 30 employees called a meeting. Yep. And said, I'm sorry, guys, but we had told them, you know, because we had laid off about five people, which we've never, we were always so proud, we'd never, ever had to lay anybody off. And um, so those were already gone. And then we told them then, if we have to do this again, we will all walk out together. So that's what we did. How many months from that meeting till you walked out together? From the meeting when we told all of our employees, it was a Wednesday, and we gave them a month to pull their own act together. We sold them equipment. We gave them our clients and, and told them until we had everything liquidated, they could work out of our offices, use our computers, our, our copiers, and build their own small businesses. And that's what they did. And most all of them are still in the business, and a lot of them still have our old clients. So you gave an out for your employees. Yep. But did you know what you were going to do? Well, sadly, and I guess a good thing, um, the whole bakery is a God thing. There's no doubt about it. I, I would can't have tell you how many entrepreneurs tell me that. I know. Well, because it was totally out of a passion, not anything I'd had in my mind for all my life that I wanted to be in the food business because yeah, I right. never wanted to be in the food business. But there was such a need, including my own family. You know, sometimes you just have to change gears when things like hit you in the face. And um, I would have never started that bakery had I known we were going to close the film business because we thought we would use that income to support us until the bakery, like you walking out in the store. So you had already started the bakery. Well, I'd already hired everybody in July and we thought we'd be open. But, you know, when you're working with the city and trying to get your permits, it takes longer than you think. So we opened it in September, but. Well, I read in the opening statement about it, you spent a year. Yes, I did. With a cook, with a chef or baker. I yep. guess they're called yep. bakers. Uh, baking to, to find recipes. Now, that was probably the year we're talking about right now, that you were already doing recipes. Well, we'd already, um, because I didn't really, I mean, our business was thriving and then it wasn't. I mean, it was very fast. The year before we closed the business, the film group business, I had already hired this baker, and he worked in his mother's kitchen. She had a really nice, real expensive, nice kitchen. And so he would bake and try recipes at his house, and then I'd come over and we'd talk about them or whatever. He'd bring them to the, to the film group, and we'd share them. And, you know, we just, you know how you test yes. recipes. And, um, and then if we'd get one that was pretty good, we had several people already following us that we knew that were family or friends at church or whatever. And so we'd take food to everybody. Or I would. And Did so you I have your location it. yet? No. No, we didn't. Was it hard to find a baker? Uh, well, yeah, that was another God thing. He literally had lost his job, and he was a friend of a friend, and he was very talented, and he begged me to let him try. I kind of had it in my mind for like six years. But in the gluten-free business, there is no school. No. Where you can learn. You're or on the bleeding edge. Where there are, there's no set recipes. And the ones that are successful at it are not sharing theirs. Well, so we really literally just would pull recipes down. And then because we had so many allergies in our family, we would say, okay, we can't use that. We can't use that. We can't use that. So let's, you know. Because you said you've already been gluten-free and nut-free and soy-free for 10 years already. Right. But so you had some recipes, but could you manufacture them on a large scale and would they work on a exactly. large scale? Exactly. Yeah. And we did, I never did successfully do bread personally. 
the oh. baker and I. I mean, he did it. He did it. Bread is like one of the hardest things to make good. Without wheat flour. Yeah, it's really hard. I think everybody that meets you knows you have a lot of energy. And I told you already, I'm so on your train. I'm such a big monster fan of yours for being so proactive about your health issues and stuff. But I almost feel like Dempsey Bakery, speaking of a God thing, is a community service. Well, I have people tell me that, and they'll tell me it's a mission because I am really So you used all your own money, too. Well, we did borrow money to build the bakery because that took quite a bit to buy the equipment because we have the big old ovens and freezers and all that. Was the health department easy to work with? Well, they've been so far. I think it's going to be a little more difficult as we get more into manufacturing. But really, right now, they just consider us kind of like a local restaurant. So it's not been too hard so far. And we're so picky about everything that actually they kind of like us. (laughs) Oh, that's good. Well, it is a clean kitchen. I've seen it. You can eat off the floors in there. Yeah. We should go to a franchise seminar. Well, I think I would probably prefer to license some of my products and let other bakeries bake them and sell them in their stores. What does that mean, license? If I licensed it, I could give them the license to make my bread, train them how to make it in a gluten-free bakery, and sell them the the flour mix so they don't have the recipe. Okay. Because... In my niche, which gluten and soy and nut-free, the liability could be huge if somebody Cooked didn't. Cooked in the wrong environment. Yeah, or brought the wrong product in. Because we vet every single ingredient that we use. We have a big old book with letters from every manufacturer that there's no nuts in their factory, there's no soy. So it's pretty complicated. So to me, if, as long as it was a gluten-free bakery, you know. Yeah. And bread is the hard, I mean, it cost me probably sixty, seventy thousand dollars $70,000 that year to create those recipes. That is just hard to get your mind around. I know. And so, you know, that if somebody wanted to do gluten-free bakery, I mean, just by paying me a fee, they could learn the hardest parts. And then the easy parts, they could just do their own thing, like cookies and stuff like that. I love the cookies you brought me. I wish everybody could see all these Halloween cookies you brought me. You've got the cutest gluten-free Halloween cookies, and they're individually packaged, so you can give them away as gifts. What nice little gifts. We do beautiful Christmas ones, too. Those are cute. So employees and even the management are the backbone of most small businesses. So if you start licensing... How do you manage those? I guess you don't worry about the employees. You wouldn't worry about it because all they're doing, they've paid you a fee, and it's up to them to be successful or not successful. Mm -hmm. And if, you know, I don't know, I'm sure I'd have to say, if you don't buy X number of mixes from me a year, like the flour mix or whatever, then you couldn't have my license anymore. So of all the things you've done, what sticks out to be the most challenging over the last six years? I know finding recipes is one. Well, but that's actually not as hard. As, I mean, now that we are really got it pretty good, we can do them. You know, it used to take us 20 times to get something right. Now it takes us maybe five because, mm-hmm. you know, we really know what we're working with. But I'd say the hardest thing right now really is packaging. Oh, my gosh, packaging is like a whole time consuming. World. So time consuming. Well, and figuring it? it out. I mean, when you start distributing, you've got to figure out the package, how it's going to go in there, how much it weighs, what it's going to cost. Put the m- date. The date, well, that's... Serial number. Yeah, and you've got to have a case and how many cases are in a this and how many that. And I'm not a numbers person. And so it is so overwhelming to me to sit down and we're working on a project right now for for a broker and we've got 11 things to price. Well, you've got to figure out I mean, it's one thing to figure it out for your retail, you know, but it's another, you got to break it down. Then you also 
got to make sure you're going to make a little bit of money. Yeah. And it's a little bit of money because yeah. they're buying it by the case. Because they're reselling it and reselling it. And yeah. Reselling it. You're, a broker is like the reseller that sells it to the To Kroger or wherever. Or and so yeah. they get a pop, then Kroger gets a pop, and then, I mean, it's like, oh, my goodness. I can't believe that cookie's only $3. When well, like in that. my bakery, it's, you know, we're getting all the profit. But if I were selling that to Kroger, mm-hmm. it, I might only get a dollar for it. And by the time it gets to Kroger, it's three or four dollars. It's I very mean, it's labor crazy. intense. Well, it's just it's an industry that I don't know that much about. You're listening to Up in Your Business with Carrie McCoy on KABF 88.3 FM. This is a mentoring show for small business owners or for those who dream of owning a small business. You just heard Paula Dempsey from Dempsey Bakery. It was pre-recorded from a previous show, and we just wanted to share her with you. To contact any of my interviewees, go to upyourbusiness.org. There you can find podcasts of each show, contact information for the person interviewed, and links to all the resources discussed on the show and some not. The website is a wealth of information and links. If you've got questions or comments for me, you can email me at Questions at upyourbusiness.org. Or I'm tweeting. You can tweet me at? At Ask Carrie McCoy. Be sure to spell Carrie K-E-R-R-Y. Today we are airing excerpts from previous shows. You just heard Paula Dempsey. The next one is going to be Congressman French Hill. He was not elected yet. No, he was. Not, not, well, he was elected. He was elected. He won the election, yeah. Yes, but when we interviewed him, he That's had right. not he yet been, been elected. Yes, he was facing his first re-election. That's exactly right. Well said. So are you ready to listen to an excerpt from Congressman French Hill's interview? My guest today is Congressman French Hill. He is the founder and chairman of Delta Trust and Bank. He attended Vanderbilt University, graduating magna cum laude with a BS, that's a business in science and economics, his education business experience, economic analysis, and professional leadership have been sought by multiple U.S. presidents. He served as senior policy advisor to President George H.W. Bush, deputy assistant secretary of the U.S. Treasury, and senior advisor to Governor Mike Huckabee. French's website boasts he is a Little Rock businessman and job creator. For the past 20 years, he has been working investing and creating jobs in central arkansas across different industries welcome to the table congressman french hill man i can't think of anybody i'd rather get up in business with than you (laughs) so i'm glad to be here (laughs) thank you i love the show there's french hill the entrepreneur there's french hill the man who is funny and i hope that that comes out and everybody gets to see how funny you are and then there's french hill the congressman so i want to start first with you as an entrepreneur you said and i quote I started my business as an idea sketched out on the back of a napkin and built it into a successful enterprise as a result of hard work, not government handouts or bailouts. French, I felt like I was reading the story of FedEx and probably so many other companies that started their business on a napkin. Can you tell us a little bit about who you were with and how it started? You bet. I remember exactly, you know, when it was and who was there. Uh, You said something that overnight successes take perseverance and my expression I used at Delta Trust was the average overnight success takes 14 years. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that was, that was, and that was. I'm using that. Yeah, that's, that's, but that's the way to think about that perseverance part. So 
I was with uh, a couple that's very close friends uh, with Martha and me, two couples, and we were uh, having dinner one night and we were talking about what became Delta Trust. And I took out this cocktail napkin at this restaurant and I wrote trust, investments, and uh, banking on it, the three core uh, functions of what became Delta Trust. So that's, those were the three core services because we were struggling with a name. And we chose Delta because Delta is a three-sided triangle, obviously, equal-sided triangle. I just thought it was a place down in South Arkansas. Well, but this is the key. We, we said we have these three core services, trust, investment, and banking. The bank that we're investing in that we want to grow is in the Mississippi Delta down in beautiful Parkdale, Arkansas, Ashley County. And the third thing was is that Delta in math is the sign of change. No it's, way. It is the change descriptor. And, of course, it's very hard when you start a company to get people to change from whatever they're doing now to you. It's hard to get people to change anything. Right. And so in any small business, this gets right to the heart of what you do, someone looking for customers has to realize they have to acquire those customers from something else, an alternative. And so Delta Trust became the name of our company and the whole business strategy that we worked on and, and perfected, I guess you'd say, for 16 years. I wondered when I was working on these questions for you, which I have like, look how many pages of questions I have for you. You've done so much. I hope we get to all of them. And I wondered what trust meant if it had a double meaning. Because a trust can be it a does. trust fund, and a trust can be trusting somebody. It did. It's, uh, we inverted the name. Most people have grown up with banks that were called First National Bank and Trust. Mm -hmm. And our company was Delta Trust and Bank. I noticed that. And we inverted the name on purpose for both reasons. One was we put trust services and investments first. It's our lead service that we go to families and business owners with. And secondly, we were not, um, it wasn't an accident to put trust and convey that in our advertising and marketing. And we said trust is our middle name on purpose because we wanted to convey a sense of Delta trust. We want trust you to trust bank. us uh, with your financial questions. And the Delta being change, I mean, Freud has a death principle and it's called doing something you've always done before. I mean, that's the death principle, not changing. So you were helping people by talking them into changing. Right. And, you know, you if you want to get the same results, if they're meager, keep doing the same thing over and over again is, a, is another risk in small business if you're not growing and not having If success. you don't change, I heard, a, I can't remember who it was, but I heard some man say, if your business isn't changing every 10 years, you're going out of business. And I believe that today. Uh, you heard my intro. I've changed yeah. and changed and changed Think and changed. Think about that. From personal door-to-door, -door, then to basically catalog-type sales. Telemarketing. Flyers, telemarketing. Now the internet. Four years, four decades, four different business models. I told our guys, we started our company in 1999. It's now part of, of Simmons now as of 2015. So I said, over that 16 years, you've seen war. You've seen two lows in interest rates. You've seen two stock market crashes, the famous... Uh, Desert Storm and the banking, 2008. Yeah, and so that's a lot in a young... Let's say somebody came to work at Delta Trust and they were 23. Mm-hmm and then they were late 30s, most people would see that kind of radical change, technology, war, recession, interest rate swings, in a whole career, not 15 years. So oh, it's moving fast these it days. It is, and that's why it? business people have to be really on their toes. 
I was going to ask you about selling your business. How does it feel? How did you make the decision? That's something I've never done. I've never sold a business. Right. Oh, before I ask him, and he, you think about that. I want to yeah. talk about your decision to sell your business and why you did it and how hard it was to let go of your baby. But before I do that, I want to say you're listening to Up In Your Business with Carrie McCoy on KABF. My guest today is Congressman French Hill, founder of Delta Trust and Bank. If you've got questions or comments for either of us, call. 501-433-0088. Tim, say that again. 501-433-0088. He says that so fast. 501-433-0088. I can't even think that fast, Tim. Or you can email us questions at upyourbusiness.org. That's right, and the questions is with an S. So, Congressman, thank you for coming on my show. Oh, I love it. I mean, people just think I am the cat's pajamas because I've got a congressman on my show. But uh, tell me about selling your business. Was it hard? Well, it's always hard uh, to sell a business. Um, and I've, as a banker and investment person for 35 years, I've helped a lot of people prepare their business for sale or talk them. Oh, I bet. And so I've always been on the other side of that equation for the most part, except, uh, you know, as an investor in something. But this one was really connected to me personally, having been the the founder founder and the CEO of it. But I had investors um, who were very eager to, after 15 years, redeploy their capital. And so they had urged me as the CEO to consider what under the best circumstances I could, a sale. And so I approached it as a fiduciary. I approached it as their agent. And I tried to take my own emotional position out of it to somewhat. But some of the things I considered were, uh, can I find a place where our employees would be happy? Can I find a place where our customers would get great quality service and have the same values that we had at Delta Trust? Can I find a group that would be um, accepting the unique products that we've developed over that period of time and actually give those products and services a home. And so after a lot of work and several years, uh, we made that decision. But it was it's always tough to do that. What do you think the secret of your success is? I think it's perseverance off the top of the show. You mentioned the word perseverance. I have always had a stick-to-itiveness about my personality and commitment to things. I've, I'm a committed person and you really need to be successful in business you really have to be personally bought in again just like your testimony at the top of the show so perseverance is essential i think the uh, only place work comes uh, after success is in the dictionary you know that (laughs) that old expression you got to work before you can be successful and i just know that to be true it is true and i think That's the secret to America. America is diverse, true, giant now, 300 million people. But there is a common code in our makeup, I think, of being willing to work hard because we do get rewarded in our society if we work hard. You absolutely do. do. We do. You know, the heart of our country for 240 years has been industriousness of the American people and having the freedom to pursue happiness as promised in the Declaration of Independence. In fact, in the list of grievances by the colonists against King George III, if you've ever read the whole Declaration of Independence, not just the part we memorize and we talk about 
unalienable rights. But the whole list of grievances, one of them is, and he, meaning the king, has sent down swarms of his officers and eaten out their substance. What? So this is the sense that government was too big, too intrusive in the industry of the colonial people living in North America, and that the uh, king was all up in their business, <laughs> you know? And so uh, <laughs> it wasn't appreciated. So the sort of secret in our society has been letting the private sector uh, have enough freedom to create business, create industry, create jobs, and grow. And therefore, we have grown to be the biggest economy in the world over those 240 years. And we have really created wealth that's free billions of people from poverty and hunger and, and famine through that free market system. So how politics and business interact is in limiting that freedom but not too much. In other words, we want to make sure business people are ethical, that they're honest, that they don't do criminal things, they don't defraud people, that they protect consumers. Uh, and so we have some base rules about that. We want workplaces safe. So we've agreed to have some basic safety standards for business, some basic pay standards like for business. So it's that tension about how politics and business interact. And what business wants is the freedom to be creative, to employ more people, to change and grow their business and take advantage of the times and do that in a way that produces greater wealth for the American people. Business is creative. It is creative, and this is where... And you, that's why people get, don't want restrictions a little bit, is yeah. they want to be creative. Right. But you've got to have restrictions because humans are needed a little. I mean, we need boundaries. Like children, everybody needs a little boundaries to keep the right. playing field even. And I think we're, that's where politics comes in, is in establishing those boundaries and then having a, a voice of the people, whether it's a planning commission mm -hmm. right in Little Rock or a state legislature about the quality of education in the state of Arkansas or at the federal level where you're talking about boundaries related to federal policy, whether it's uh, health like the NIH or FDA on drug research. So how do we keep those boundaries to protect families and consumers and business for that matter and yet create an environment for creativity innovation and growth so speaking of free trade yep. and jobs and borders and boundaries what do you think i mean this may be a really hot subject and it's really not supposed to be this show is not supposed to be about politics but this is about business mm -hmm. um what do you think about you know the world economy and we're all an it's a global economic world yeah, i don't know i mean i'd i'd sort of ask you a little bit about the sales of your products uh, if they're all mostly domestic or not but I just left an Arkansas State Chamber luncheon and uh, two of my young friends that have neat manufacturing businesses are both women-owned businesses one in Conway and one over in Sherwood they need to come on my show they both they'd be they'd be fabulous uh, we, need a, we need a manufacturer on the Gina show. Radke and uh, Rachel Cox are two great young business women in the metro area and they export. Their business, it's essential that they export. And if you think about American business and services, as well as manufacturing, 95% of the customers of the world are outside the U.S. Really? So we have to think about how to do business internationally. And the purpose of a good trade agreement, a quality trade agreement, however you want to have an adjective, is to open up markets for American services and goods. That's how we should measure success. So global trade is important to American Americans. And here in, in Arkansas alone, 
350,000 jobs are tied to uh, trade in our state of just three million folks. And a lot of that is in the ag sector because we're a big, big agricultural export. Oh, yeah. We're the largest exporter rice. of rice, for example. Mm -hmm. So, French, if you had no constraints, is there a policy that you would like to put in place? On uh, sort of any topic? Mm -hmm. Well, I think one of the macro areas, so whether you're talking about the civilian Defense Department or the U.S. Forest Service or the National Park Service or the VA, it would be wonderful if we had a set of common sense hiring practices where we could recruit people into these jobs, do annual performance appraisals of them. And fire them. And move them out if they're not performing up to standard and recruit additional people and do that in a timely, thoughtful way, but fair. not one and fair, that creates an esprit de corps. Where if I look up the chain of command in one of those agencies and I see the person at the top, I know that I report to that person and that I have, you know, to do a good job in order to keep my job. That's good. That's good. I wanted to say that, but I didn't know how to say it as great as you did. Fairfield Bay. I love the story of Fairfield Bay. Fairfield Bay is a success story. In the 90s, when Martha and I moved home to Arkansas, Fairfield Bay was a place where we'd go to retreats for business, and it was a happening place. And then the Fairfield Corporation went bankrupt, and Fairfield Bay went through a, a slump. But it is a story of self-determination. This mayor, this city council, and the citizens up at Fairfield Bay on the western end of Greer's Ferry Lake said, you know, we're going to rebound. We're going to be successful. And they got a convention and conference center reopened, and spruced up, that's a spectacular meeting place. Wyndham has come in and done all their condos. So Wyndham Hotel? Wyndham Hotel Corporation took really? over their condos and their timeshare from the old Fairfield days. And we were up uh, dedicating uh, the first groundbreaking on 20 luxury townhomes overlooking the lake at Fairfield Bay. And it, it's- When was that, this year? It's, we broke ground uh, this week. Really? And it's so exciting to see a mayor and a town come together, create a business plan, and move their town forward. You've got to be tired. You're everywhere, every city, <laughs> all the time. You run for Congress. You'll be running again. This is your second time. I'm running term. my first re-election. Your right. first re-election. That's a good way to say it. And it's every two years. Right. That just seems like too much, but okay. Our founders put that in the Constitution, and we, we love every minute of it. So we're staying with that. God bless. I know it, right? So any last words for our listeners? Well, just uh, thank you for the opportunity to talk about business and talk about uh, perseverance. And uh, I appreciate the chance to be with you. And of course, appreciate all the listeners uh, being supportive of me as I seek it's a second the term. All right. You're listening to Up in Your Business with Carrie McCoy on KABF 88.3 FM in Little Rock, Arkansas. You just heard Congressman French Hill, who was re-elected last November the 8th. That's correct. To contact any of our interviewees, go to upyourbusiness.org. There you can find podcasts of each show, contact information for the person interviewed, and links to all the resources discussed on the show and some not. The website is a wealth of information and links. If you've got questions or comments for me, email me at questions at upyourbusiness.org or tweet me at at ask Carrie McCoy be sure to spell Carrie K-E-R-R-Y our last uh, pre-recorded interview is Al Hodge from Arkansas Capital Corporation my guest today is Al Hodge from Arkansas Capital Corporation 
Al received his BA from the University of Louisiana at Lafayette. He continued his education at the University of Oklahoma, studying economic development and financial services. Al has been named Advocate of the Year by both the Louisiana and Arkansas SBA Financial Services, and AY Magazine named him one of the most powerful men in 2015. In addition, Al is passionate about his work with United Cerebral Policy of Arkansas. And on the walls of Arkansas Capitol in the River Market, he gleefully displays and hosts Second Friday Art Night in support of local artists. Welcome to the table, Al Hodge. Thank you, Carrie. <laughs> Before we get down to the nuts and bolts of business, tell our listeners what Arkansas Capital Corporation Group is and does. Well, we've been around since 1957. We are a private, nonprofit economic development finance organization. We really do not compete with our local bankers. We do fund loans in partnership with our local bankers, and we primarily do deals that fall outside of conventional bank policy. That's how I met you. That's right. That I was like a that long time ago. I like that unconventional stuff. Oh, love unconventional. So I really want to talk about Al the Man, but Al, hmm. I know, but <laughs> we're not going to have time because when I was putting together questions for you, it was like four or five pages of questions. Wow. So I'm going to start with questions that I think the listeners want to hear. And at okay. the end of the program, if we get to talk about <laughs> Al the Man and what drives you and what motivates you, we'll do that. But your brain is so full of information that all these small business owners and wannabe small business owners need to know. So my first question, is there one thing you see in all entrepreneurs? One thing in all entrepreneurs, let's see. Um, yes, I see drive, I see motivation. Uh, I, you know, sometimes there's a lack of planning, but most of all, I, I see the drive and the motivation, and that's what I like to see in my entrepreneurs are they really willing to sacrifice just like you you were talking about what you did you you know you waited on tables for nine years while you sold your flags door to door that's what i want to see people are willing to do anything in order to get their business up and running that shows true commitment so al i'm at the dentist office yesterday she says that her husband is a want-to-be entrepreneur great I know. He watches everything. He sees everything. On, he, he wants to learn all he can learn, but he's not passionate about any one thing. And mm. she says, how does he figure out what to start a business about, and how does he begin? And I know what my answer would be to that, but I want to hear what your answer would be. Well, my answer is he needs to be looking at a franchise. You know, franchise businesses in America are some of the best uh, entrepreneurial opportunities you can get into. And if you really don't know what you want to do, but you want to own your own business, you want to work for yourself, be in control of your future, you really need to look at all of the opportunities that are available through franchises. Wow, I wouldn't have thought that. That is the best place to start. And it they really train is. you? You're trained by the franchisor. I mean, every step of the way, you're helped. Do they finance it for you, or do they no. come to you and you finance it? Yeah, I, companies like me and banks and, and other financing sources will finance franchised opportunities, yes. So you deal directly with the, the person that wants to borrow the money? Yes. When I first met you, I went through a bank 
it was Twin City Bank, I think, at the time. Correct. And they sold my loan to you, and that's how I met you. Well, really how it happened was a lot of times when a bank cannot do what the borrower needs, they will contact us because they know we can probably get it done. And when I say they can't get it done, what you need is it's because of bank policy, because of federal regulations. Some reason Don't you why. have those same guidelines? No, we really don't. We, we're not governed by the FDIC or the OCC or any other bank regulatory organization. We're really governed by uh, such agencies as the SBA. And as long as we're following the SBA policy, uh, we can do a lot that banks cannot do. So would you say the SBA is your best partner? As a lender, mm -hmm. I'd say the SBA is my best partner. As a small business owner, I'd say the SBA is my best opportunity to do what I need to get done. What about a partnership? What if somebody says, well, my friend has a business and he needs some money and some you know, capital infused into the business and I wanna buy into his business as a partnership and we're friends. Have you seen that very many times? I've seen that a lot of times. And unfortunately, I've seen it break up friendships. Uh, I'd, I'd be very careful about going into a partnership because even if y'all are good friends going into the partnership, that doesn't mean you're going to remain good friends throughout the time. So let's say you're not friends and you meet strictly as two people that have the same vision about a business and you're not particularly friends and you met on a business relationship. Do you do 50-50 in a partnership? Is that it how you depends. keep it fair? Uh, it all depends on who's bringing the money to the table. You know, the person with the money is the one that's going to be in control. So, And I see that a lot with entrepreneurs. They, uh, they have an idea, but they have no money and they want to get an investor, but the investor wants the majority of the company and they're not willing to do that. Well, I'm sorry if you don't have the money, you're gonna have to do what the investor is requiring of you to do if you want to go into business. So money talks. It really does. So the person who puts up the most money obviously owns the most of the business and gets the last say, and can you live with that? So it's a personality Absolutely. decision That's you have exactly to make. That's exactly what it is. I, I recommend you do that as a last resort. One day I realized that none of my employees knew the difference between an income statement and a balance sheet. That's interesting. A balance sheet is a photograph of something on a particular day. A balance sheet is on a day, and it photographs your assets, your liabilities, and your net worth. So on that particular day, you may have cash in your checking account. That's an asset. That's an asset, cash of $3,000. You may have receivables of $4,000. That's, That's another an asset. asset. You may have inventories of $4,000. Another asset. Another asset. And then you might have some other current assets. In addition to that, other assets you might have are known as fixed assets, which would be real estate, machinery and equipment, automobiles. Computers. Those computers, those kind of things. That's all fixed assets. And then after that, you may have s another asset that is intangible. You may have some goodwill or something. Flagandbanner.com is an intangible it's asset. It's an intangible. The name itself mm -hmm. has value. Mm -hmm. So those are your assets. And you total those assets up, and those a all those assets have a value. Then you look at your liabilities, the things that you owe. You may have uh, payables from your vendors. You buy on a daily basis. You don't pay cash. They, they invoice you. Those are payables. That is a liability. You may have a line of credit at the bank. That is a liability. Uh, you may have a mortgage on your building. 
your mortgage will have two components in your liabilities. It will have a long-term portion and it will have a current portion. The current goes in the current portion of your liabilities and the long-term goes into the long-term portion of your liabilities. So you have your assets, then you have your liabilities. You're subtracting your liabilities from your assets and hopefully there's a positive number there. What's that number called? Well, it's the net worth of your company. It's your net worth. It's your net worth. And net worth is made up of retained earnings and hopefully your business. Retained earnings are what came over from the year before? Come over from previous years, from all, all the years. years before. Hopefully that's a positive number if your company has been profitable. I, if it has not been profitable and ha you've had losses, that number could show negatively, which in the banking world is not what you want to see. If you take your assets and you subtract your liabilities and you come out with a net worth, hopefully your net worth is positive and that on that particular day, that's what a balance sheet is. Your balance sheet has nothing to do with your daily expenses of rent, Correct. utilities. That's all on the income statement. Payroll, cost of goods. And I think it was very hard for me to really separate those two things. So when they come to you to borrow money, you want an income statement. And you a balance a, sheet. You want a balance sheet, too? And a balance sheet and a cash flow statement. I want all three. Well, I'm hiring somebody for that <laughs> cash flow statement. <laughs> so, you know, you have, you have your balance sheet, which is a photograph of your assets, your liability, and your net worth on a particular day. It's a one particular day. You have your income statement, which covers a period of time. Your income statement covers if your fiscal year starts on January 1st of each year and ends on December 31st. Your income statement will start on January 1st, and whatever month you're in, you'll stop at that month. Let's say you're stopping at the end of May. Your income statement will cover those five months, but your balance sheet just covers one day. So you see the difference between yes. those two? Mm -hmm. yes. And then what happens on your cash flow statement is it's the relationship between the balance sheet and the income statement. So how often do you think an existing business should look at their income statement and balance sheet? I know how much I look at mine. I know my ratio. Every, every month, every every month when you, right. when you close out the month, you need to be looking at your balance sheet and your income statement and the cash flow of the company every month. Every month. And there's specific ratios you can run that Correct. I was probably in business for a long time before I realized that these bankers have these set of ratios that they run and there's quick assets and... Current ratio, the quick ratio, the days receivable. How many days do you have in receivables? That's, that's what you need to know. That's a big one. You know, because if, if your receivables are lengthening out, you know, if you're supposed to have 30 days in receivables and you're seeing it's 45, it's 60, it's 90, you have a problem. Yeah. Why are you not collecting? And the longer it goes, the less likely it is that you're going to collect. Correct. So my sales have gone down, and I'm starting to know that, and I'm starting to go, oh, my, and I'm starting to ride my vendors, and my payables mm -hmm. are getting higher, and my receivables and cash are getting lower. And if you wait, and this is something I really think the listeners need to hear, if you wait till you are needing the money. Oh, it's too late. It's too late. You have to be forecasting monthly, and you have to know if you're going to need the money. And then you go to your bank, and you say, I need a line of credit against my inventory. because Or your receivables. Or your receivables to help me through this hard time that's coming up. But if you wait till it's already... You can't borrow money for this Friday's payroll. 
so to speak. <laughs> you got to be more progressive than that. You've got to be do. ready. You got to know that you're going to need that. And I think that the, your banker likes to see that you are being proactive and that you're looking at your stuff. But a lot of times I did made this mistake when I was young and I waited till I was already in trouble because I didn't look at my income statements. Correct. Enough. People wait too long. You're exactly right. That was a great hour, Tim. I learned some stuff from my I know I learned some stuff from my own show listening to it again that was great. To our listeners, thank you for spending time with me. If you think this program's been about you, you're right, but it's also about me. Thank you for letting me fulfill my destiny. My hope today is that you've heard or learned something that's been inspiring or enlightening and that it, whatever it is, will help you up your business, your independence or your life. I'm Carrie McCoy, and I'll see you next Friday at 2 p.m. on KABF Radio in Little Rock, Arkansas. Until then, be brave and keep it up. <laughs> if you would like to hear today's program again or download a free copy, go to upyourbusiness.org. All of our live shows are available online within 48 hours. Find this and other helpful resources to help you live the American dream. <laughs>